So, good evening, everyone. Is this on? Can you hear me okay? Good. It's lovely to see you all here tonight. Uh, I see a lot of familiar faces out there, people who've spent um, many, many hours in this particular hall, and also a lot of new faces that I don't know and look forward to getting to know over the week together. The three of us are very uh, excited to be here. We've been planning this retreat for some time, and it's a topic that we all feel a lot of enthusiasm about. So uh, hope we'll be able to share that enthusiasm and have a terrific week together. My name is Guy Armstrong. I'm one of the teachers here at Spirit Rock. And on my left, this is Sally Armstrong. And the last name is not a coincidence. We're, we're married. And on my right is Gil Fransdahl, who's the uh, head of IMC Meditation Center in uh, Redwood City. People often get us mixed up by name. So just again, I'm Guy. This is Gil. And we'll keep saying it so it gets straight. And you know, those three-letter words starting with G, you know, a little too similar. So we'll keep stating that. And hopefully it'll be clear. We've been planning this retreat uh, really for about two years, and this is the first in what we hope will be a series of uh, retreats here at Spirit Rock. We want to have one retreat every year that is specifically for senior students, so something with a little bit different subject matter, not just the standard Vipassana 101 retreat, which we have here a lot, and this is the first in an annual uh, series. Next year, the, uh, the theme will be the Abhidhamma, and that will be led by Steve Armstrong. So something to look for and, and put in your calendar if that interests you. But this is a theme that we particularly wanted to uh, bring to the forefront, to share uh, something that has been important in our meditation and our reflection. The topic of emptiness has been one of the central concepts in Buddhist thought for the last 2,500 years. Maybe, you know, if you had to pick one concept, maybe the uh, most often mentioned concept over all this time. Even as Buddhism has gone through many different evolutions from the early days of the Buddha and the Pali texts into the early Mahayana sutras of the Prajnaparamita and the writings of Nagarjuna, through the later Mahayana, the schools of the Yogacara or uh, mind only, Chittamatra, and then as it moved out of India into China and the concept of emptiness infused the Chinese understanding of Chan and later in Japan as Zen, this theme of emptiness has been there running all along although its interpretation and understanding have also changed over the centuries as it's moved from one culture to another. The theme was enunciated more strongly in the Mahayana, that is the later versions of, of Indian Buddhism that migrated to China, Japan, and Tibet. But the concepts, the, the key concepts, the primary concepts are all there in the Pali works as well. So in the teachings of the Buddha, in the commentaries of the Pali scholars like uh, Buddha Gosa, the concept of emptiness is found, is clearly enunciated. 
um, is developed from a few different angles. So it's very much there within our tradition of the Theravada. Over this week, we want to look at a number of different ways the word has been understood and, and used over the centuries, but we'll draw mostly from the Theravada, partly because that's the lineage that uh, we represent here at Spirit Rock, and also because it hasn't been, um, I'd say, pulled out or described so extensively from our tradition here at Spirit Rock. So, you know, it's something we feel we can uh, contribute to the overall Dharma picture in the West. As the write-up of the retreat talked about, I hope everybody uh, understood, we'll be looking at this topic both in theory and in practice. That means we're going to connect it to readings and I hope you picked up a copy of the, uh, of the study guide when you registered. If you didn't, hopefully the retreat managers will have additional copies. There should be enough that everybody has one. And we would appreciate it if you would bring this, which will form the, the main basis of our textual study, bring it to the talks, and later as the retreat unfolds to the discussions uh, that we have. This will be what we'll read or study from. But we also want to connect it to our meditation. The purpose of learning about emptiness is to free our hearts and minds. It's not just to become smarter or intellectually clever. So we want to find out how these concepts can inform our understanding. And that happens through our meditative inquiry. So we're trying to structure the retreat in, in the way that will uh, nourish the best, uh, the best of these two approaches, the study and the meditation practice. So if you've looked at the schedule, you'll have noticed that most of the day looks like a regular retreat of sitting and, and walking. But unlike a usual retreat, we're going to have two Dharma talks every day. One will be in the morning at 930 the other will be at 7.30 in the evening, which is sort of the usual time that we do talks here at Spirit Rock. And there will be times for questions around both of these uh, talking periods. So this will be the opportunity for us to kind of stimulate some reflection and for you to you know, start to play with the concepts that you want to feed into your meditation. But then the rest of the day will be in silence and will be a standard uh, practice of vipassana, or mindfulness. So we want to try to find this balance where there's enough silence and quiet time that the concentration develops, so that you, you experience that stilling of the mind that you associate with your retreat practice. But we also want to put in enough conceptual content that it starts to kind of spark insight for you. And in this way, we hope to, if you think of it in terms of balancing the factors of enlightenment, we want to put a lot of emphasis into the second factor, which is investigation. And we also want to put a lot into the uh, sixth factor, which is concentration. Or you could say the investigation produces some of the arousing alert energy, 
and the stillness and the quiet will produce the calming. So this is the balance that we're trying to find in this format. And we'll see how it goes. I don't want to say we haven't done it before, but um, we haven't done it quite like this before. So it's a little bit of an experiment, and we look forward to your telling us how it's working for you. When you stop and think about it, this word empty is kind of a funny word to put at the center of a religion or a philosophy. It's not that appealing a word, is it? You know, for me, it conjures up ideas of um, an empty cupboard or a glass half empty or an empty house. And it has a little bit of a, of a bare and, um, and bleak connotation in, Eng- in English. So I've always wondered, well, was that something that's just lost in translation? How can a central philosophy be built on a word like that? But in fact, the word that the Buddha used and the word that's been used in generations after is basically a daily, everyday word that means the same as our word empty. So, for example, you know that famous quotation of the Buddha where he's pointing in the forest and pointing out places for the bhikkhus. He said, uh, monks, there are these roots of trees. There are these empty huts. Meditate or you'll regret it later. So the empty huts, the word used is the same word as for emptiness. The Pali word is sunya. Um, The noun form is sunyata or emptiness. So it was an ordinary everyday word in the Buddhist time. It's an ordinary kind of everyday word in, in our time. So the meaning of this word is explained a little bit on page one on your study guide. You don't need to read it right now. You can feel free to read it later when you go back to your room. But we wanted to give a little bit of a kind of description or explanation on page one so that you can keep referring to that as the basic sense or meaning of the word. So when the Buddha used the word empty, to refer to our, uh, the aspects of our experience, what is it empty of? What's, what's not there? And as a simple way to remember this, you might say, you might describe it as empty of a fixed or unchanging substance or essence. You know, this is kind of the, the simplest or... Um, universal meaning that we'll come back to again and again. This has a few implications because if you look at what we take to be a human being, how the Buddha described a human being, a fairly important part of what we look at in meditation, it's empty of something. It's empty of some fixed core, some abiding, unchanging entity at the center. If you look at the phenomena of the world that come through our six senses, they're empty of some kind of lasting substance also. So these are two important ways that we're going to be talking about this word empty. And a third important way, which we also mention in this explanation, is the sense that the mind can become empty through letting go 
of things that don't need to be there. You know how often our thoughts are involved in drifting into the future or looking back at the past and we construct senses of uh, existing and belonging out of those thoughts of past and future. Those don't really need to be there. And as the mind gets simpler, more focused in meditation, there's an emptying process that goes on. And this is also another key point that the Buddha was pointing to. But a lot of our exploration is going to be around this, this sense that the world is not the way it appears to be. And this is kind of the promise of emptiness, that it can reveal to us some kind of hidden truth about the way things are, about the way we take ourselves to be, about the way we take the world to be. So part of our reflections during the week will be inquiring into questions like, what is real? What's reality? What's real in a human being? What's real in the experiences through our senses? And therefore, what's not real in those things? Because these are kind of fundamental questions. One sometimes, actually I'll say often, in meditating on emptiness has a feeling that the the rug is being pulled out from under one to greater or lesser extent. And this is one of the functions of this inquiry is to see where have we assumed that there's solid ground where there may not be. So as we start to, you know, pull that carpet out, as we collectively all work at pulling that carpet out, sometimes this material can be a little disconcerting, a little unsettling. What we thought was solid ground may not be. So just be aware that that is part and parcel of the investigation, and different feelings will come up about that. So as we're working with the... uh, descriptions, the questions, the inquiry around emptiness. Also stay tuned to your emotional life. Again, it's not meant to be just an intellectual exploration. It's meant to free the heart and mind. But as you know from your mindfulness practice, sometimes before the heart and mind get freed, some hindrances come up. So just be prepared for that. That's part and parcel of the package as we look into questions on this level. It's all fine. It's all good material for our meditation. And then once we know how to examine and how to look, we can see emptiness everywhere. Everywhere. We can see it behind someone's eyes. We can see it in the rainbow, in the sunset in the sound that's that's the quiet after the bird call ends. Because actually this understanding of emptiness goes in a lot of different directions. If you look through your study guide, you'll see a bunch of headings in bold and then the quotations in standard print after that. 
The headings in bold, the larger headings, are the uh, themes that we'll be covering in the Dharma talks. And I think there are something like 12 Dharma talks over these days together. Bhikkhu Bodhi was just here at Spirit Rock this weekend, the, the great translator whose you know, words we'll probably be sharing because they're in the study guide quite a bit. And uh, he stayed with Sally and me uh, overnight before he taught here. It was a great pleasure to have him. He's not only a wonderful scholar and, and teacher and writer of Buddhism, he's a very nice guy. He's one of those people where you just kind of feel that the years of monastic life have um, smoothed away the rough edges of his heart. He's a, he's a gentleman and a wonderful person to hang out with. So we were talking to him about the retreat that we were uh, entering on uh, this week. And he said, emptiness, you're going to talk about that for a week? (laughs) And he was a little surprised because, you know, the word is not there all the time in the Pali Suttas. But I feel we could do this retreat for a month. Really, the, the 12 talks that we have, for me, just kind of scratch the surface of where we could go with emptiness. Once you start tuning into it, you see it everywhere. It gets quite subtle. It can get, um, it can get to be the matter of a lot of intellectual argument. And some of that may happen this week. We'll try to just keep saying, just go back to your experience. Because uh, you can get into some very point, subtle points of distinction among the different views of emptiness, we're more interested in how can this concept help free us in the here and now. Nonetheless, it can go in a lot of different directions. You may know this young Tibetan monk named uh, Mingyur Rinpoche, who has become um, fairly well known through two books, the first of which was The Joy of Living, the second of which was called Joyful Wisdom. He's, I think, 34 years old and quite a remarkable person. He did his first three-year retreat when he was 13. He started his second three-year retreat right after that when he was 16. But as he started it, his retreat master died. He was 17 years old. They didn't have anyone to lead the second three years of the retreat. So one of the high teachers in that lineage asked Mingyur Rinpoche to lead it at the age of 17. So he's somebody who has a lot of meditative depth. He's also spent years and years in study. And he knows this territory of emptiness very well. So uh, we were on his first visit to the States, which was about 10 years ago. He didn't speak much English at that time. Sally and I and Mary Ann from Spirit Rock took him on a walk around the top of Mount Tam. You know, the beautiful circular walk that goes around the peak and you can see down the coast and the beaches. And He wasn't really that interested, but he went to be polite. And we tried to make conversation. And I asked him things like, um, how do you find the West? And he said, uh, square and clean. <laughs> And that was the end of that answer. And I said, do you think Tibetans are happier than Westerners? He said, yes. End of that answer. 
with the language thing and you know everything, we weren't getting much chit chat done. So we were walking around this path that's about eight feet wide around the top of Mount Tam. And so I thought I'd try a different tack because I wanted to get to know him a little bit. And I said, can you tell me what's the difference between these two schools in Tibetan Buddhism, the school uh, they understand is founded by Nagarjuna called the Madhyamaka and the school of Dzogchen, which is a meditative uh, school in the Nyingma tradition. So I said, what's the difference between the Dzogchen view and the Madhyamaka view? His eyes lit up. And he said, the first thing you have to understand is there are 18 different kinds of emptiness. And I want to tell you about them. So he sat us down on the path. All five of us sat in a circle. Mingyur Rinpoche, the translator, Sally, Mary, Ann, and I. And he started going through the different kinds of emptiness and how that affected the view of the Madhyamaka and the view of Dzogchen. So this topic can proliferate into a lot of talking and thinking but we want to keep bringing it back to our actual experience. So that will kind of be our focus. While we're aware of the you know, rich philosophical implications, keep bringing it back to the focus of how we feel it here and now. So don't worry too much about all the complexity that's available. We want to try to keep it a little simple. But because there is a lot of complexity, all of us will have our own perspectives on it. Uh, One of the things I look forward to is hearing what my colleagues are going to say because I don't really know. We haven't talked about a lot of this beforehand. So you may hear one of us say things that the other person contradicts in the next Dharma talk. I don't know. We certainly, as we've discussed it a little bit going in, we have a little bit different angles on it. And so we've kind of selected the topics for our talks that reflect our personal interest. So I hope that will make it alive for you as well. But we have different, little bit different views on um, how we understand it, how we apply it, how we meditate with it, and how we'll talk about it. So don't worry if there are some, some contradictions. There's, there's grounds for differing views on this topic. But on the central views, I think you'll see that, that we all agree. Just briefly, I wanted to say, and we'll talk about this more as we go, that as we uncover this, let's say, hidden secret about the world, it doesn't deny the conventional way that we understand the world. Let's say that the, uh, the understanding of emptiness, the insight into emptiness, doesn't negate conventional truths. So I'll give you an example of how this can be misapplied. And there's a, there's a wonderful quotation on the front page of the study guide that's taken from a basic Nagarjuna text. Like a snake poorly grasped or knowledge inappropriately applied, emptiness viewed wrongly destroys a dim-witted person. So it, it's easy to take hold of emptiness as a view and lose touch with another level of reality. So, give you an example. I was watching television the other night, and someone was interviewing a politician who favors extending the uh, the tax cuts for the wealthy. You know, this is a topic that's really up in Congress and the administration these days. And so, the interviewer, the journalist, I think it was CNN, asked the politician. 
well, why do you favor extending the tax cuts for the wealthy? Do they really need the money? Do the rich need the money? And the politician answered, um, there's no rich, there's no poor. We're all interconnected. <laughs> and he, he made this sign. And I thought, um, that's applying emptiness wrongly. <laughs> to negate the concepts of rich and poor, it kind of blocks one's compassion. Because on another level, there are rich and poor. And they're suffering because of the poverty. And they're suffering because of the richness. Emptiness, when held wrongly, can... Um, as a fixed view, not seeing the immediate truth of it, but held as a fixed view, can, can close our hearts. It can kind of put a, a dampening, reductionist effect on the world, as though we said, you know, normally we say this is a striker. This piece of wood wrapped in cloth is here to strike the bell and make a sound. If we look at it from the point of view of a quantum physicist, we say, oh, it's just atoms and molecules. And it's just protons and neutrons bound at the center of the atoms and electrons orbiting at a great distance around them and mostly at space. And then we look around and we see everything's just atoms and protons and neutrons. So what does it all mean? It doesn't mean anything. But conventionally speaking... it still works as a striker. So conventionally speaking, there are still rich and poor. Often, it's important or really helpful to maintain the view of compassion, to uh, keep unfolding the compassion as a practice within us as we deepen the understanding of emptiness. And that will prevent us from falling into this trap of grasping onto a view and applying it wrongly. So compassion is a really important part of the, the understanding of emptiness. And we have one talk during the week on the connection of emptiness and, and compassion. So this is basically kind of just setting the frame of what we'll be doing uh, during the week. As you look through the study guide, you can take a look at the kinds of topics that we'll be addressing, some of the material that we'll be studying and reflecting on. And so now I'd just like to talk a little, in a little more detail about the structure of, of the days as we go through them together. We will have two talks every day. Uh, both will be preceded by sittings. So the morning sit will be from 8.30 to 9.15, We'll have a little stretch break. And then the morning talk at 9.30 will be an hour and a quarter, including time for questions and discussion. The evening talk, uh, there will be a sitting at, I think, 6.45 till 7.15, little break, and then an hour for a talk from 7.30 to 8.30, also including time for questions. So those will be the two main uh, talking parts of the day. Then... Most afternoons, not the first day, so not tomorrow, because we want to use tomorrow as a quiet day to settle, most afternoons at 4.15, there will be an hour time for discussion, mostly in small groups in the hall together. 
We'll seed the discussions with some exercises or questions, but it will be really a time for you to kind of explore the meaning of the concepts as you understand them, as you experience them, and to share them with your uh, fellow practitioners. So it's really a time for you to feel the, uh, the working of Sangha and share with one another from your own understanding and experience. We've been doing a lot of uh, this kind of work through the Dedicated Practitioners Program, which uh, Sally has been running for a number of years now. So it's a style that I know many of you are familiar with and, and we're quite familiar with too. It makes a good complement for the both the silent meditation and the, the lectures. The rest of the day will be in uh, silence, combination of uh, sitting and walking. After the afternoon discussion, we'll close with a short sit so that the words can settle before we go into tea. During the retreat, uh, we will have uh, regular interviews. Everyone will have two meetings, basically, with us. One will be in the form of a small group, and the other will be an individual interview. So those will start on, let's see, tomorrow's Friday. Those will start on Saturday with two days of group interviews and then two days of uh, individual interviews. Um as we go through the days, please do take care with the silence. It's really going to be the uh, part of the retreat that brings the deepening, brings the factor of concentration that will allow the insights to go deep and be, uh, be more transformative. As you get to know each other, as there's more talking during the day, there's going to be more temptation to speak to one another than on a regular silent retreat. So please take good care with withholding the silence, you'll all find it a really valuable support. Please do bring the study guide into the uh, future talks and discussions. We'll be referring to the quotations. And did everybody bring a pen and some paper? How many people, how many people did not bring pen and paper? just want to get a sense. Okay, I think we can cover you all. We had um, asked that an email be sent to uh, ask you to bring those. It wasn't able to go out in time, so it's our mistake for not getting the word to you, but we'll find ways to gather that. And just one last word on logistics. Some of the sits are um, close to work periods, and I think particularly the sit um, after tea there may not quite be enough time if you have a job after tea, and this is mostly pot washers and dishwashers, there may not be enough time for you to completely finish your job before the sitting. If you're one of those people who has work, then it's fine to come into that sitting a little late. Don't feel you have to stay outside, finish your work, and then are excluded from the sit. Because of the work period, if you need to come in a little late to the sit right after a meal, then feel free to do that. Okay, I think that's all I wanted to uh, say as a way of opening the retreat. I'm really happy to be here with all of you, looking forward to getting to know you and exploring this together. So now I'm going to uh, turn it over to Sally, who's going to talk for a bit. And You got a mic? Okay. 
So I'd also like to extend my welcome and greetings to all of you. As Guy said, uh, it's nice to come in the hall and see both so many familiar faces, but also people that I don't know that I'm looking forward to, to getting to know. And I'm particularly happy to be at this retreat teaching with Guy and Gil. Uh, obviously, I was going to say both good friends, more than good friends, and <laughs> one more than good friend and one good friend. Um, great team to be with. And I've been one of the advocates for having retreats like this at Spirit Rock, really wanting to um, ex- expand the offerings that we have here so people really feel the opportunity to um, deepen their practice and, and come to a, a greater understanding of the depth and breadth of the Buddha's teachings. And I think this retreat is a great way to start this series of old students' retreats here at Spirit Rock. Um, and having, as Guy said, been one of the main teachers at our dedicated practitioners program, which we've run through three cycles now, and I know there's many of you here who've been in that program. Um, just we're working on looking at uh, getting going DPP4 and looking at uh, the list of people wanting to get into that program. These retreats are not silent retreats, they're interactive. And I've really seen from those retreats the power of taking a theme and meditating on it and talking about it, sharing your understanding. So that's a part of this retreat that I'm also really excited to um, share with you and and bring into the mix here at Spirit Rock so that there is this uh, range of doorways in. You know, the silent retreats are so much the foundation of what we do, but for me, I know that's not necessarily the best way to learn about a topic. It's much better for me if I can discuss and inquire and have uh, opportunity for feedback and questions and um, that, that kind of interaction is much a much better forum for actually deepening understanding. So that's what I hope is going to happen here. I also want to say that even though you know there's a study guide, if you've glanced at it already, you can see it's got a lot of quite... Um, deep and perhaps seeming impenetrable suttas in them that in it that uh, this teaching or this concept itself can seem a little mysterious i feel i'm kind of here as the every man or every woman i should say gill and guy have both uh, are, are, are not a scholar basically you know gill i know has actually formally in ac- academia studied did you do a masters or a phd on uh, or you went to Hawaii to study emptiness. I have it all. Yeah, he has it all. <laughs> He's studied emptiness. I mean, really studied emptiness. Guy, uh, for those of you who know him, know that he, he's a, a reader and has read most of the suttas. I've read quite a bit. I haven't read a lot. So I just, you know, I feel I'm kind of here so that you don't have to feel that you need to know everything or understand. I don't feel I know everything or understand very little. But I also know that this is a theme that's incredibly important and that we can all understand what we need to understand to actually have it be transforming for us, to have it be a place of deep awakening, of letting go, and actually liberation. So that's the place I'm going to keep coming back to again and again. So don't feel you have to be a scholar or a great adept or that the kinds of meditation we're going to be doing here are very obscure and abstruse and you won't know what's going on. It's just the regular meditation. And hopefully we'll be talking about this theme in ways that 
really make sense for you, that you can see and understand in your own experience what we're pointing to, at least what I'm pointing to. I won't say what the others are going to point to. But um, I'm going to try and keep it simple, keep it very much within our knowable experience. It's not something um, mystical that we're talking about here. It's a very knowable, understandable um, teaching at its heart, of course, there is a depth and a transforming quality to it. But we'll get to it just as we get to it. There's nothing, uh, nothing more than you need to do than show up, keep your mind and heart open and relatively clear and know what's happening right now. And everything will unfold from there. So I look forward to spending this week with you. Thank you. So um, I'm certainly happy to be here as well. And I guess I'm the one who's full of emptiness. And um, I think a little bit thinking about it today here, that um, you know, if you have a blank canvas, an empty canvas, uh, you can paint you know, infinite variety of different things, quite varied. And in some ways, the concept of emptiness, the word emptiness, has been used in Buddhism not as a complete empty canvas, uh, but it's been kind of, in many ways, kind of empty of uh, any inherent meaning, uh, which is kind of an emptiness thing to say. Trouble hearing, Pesha? People have trouble hearing? I wonder if we turn it up a little bit. Let's see, is that better? Maybe bring it closer. Does that help any? Yes? Is that good? You can hear now? So, um, uh, there's, there's so many varied interpretations of emptiness down through the centuries in the modern world. It's almost like a blank canvas that people have projected all kinds of interpretations, ideas onto this beautiful word. Um, but in thinking about that, I think about how many people, what they found in the word emptiness is something that's been incredibly meaningful for them. Uh, uh, something that really touches their hearts, touches their intimate relationship with the world around them, and uh, their freedom, their, um, their compassion. And um, that's what I hope also, is that uh, in exploring emptiness, it's not an abstract topic, but something that will point us back do something quite beautiful in our hearts and our minds and uh, something that uh, some people would call quite sacred, um, something that will touch you and be meaningful for you as we're here. I think this is what this hall has been, Spirit Rock has been built to do, is for all of us to be able to meet ourselves, meet our lives, the depth of it, um, with all its struggles and sufferings and joys and possibilities for liberation and to find something really blossom and beautifully within us uh, so that we can bring, it, bring that out into our world as, as gifts to the people around us and our community and our world. And that uh, the topic of emptiness is really a beautiful way to maybe hopefully access something that's quite precious and profound. Um, and I say that now here at the beginning. It is, you know, it's meant to be a retreat. And so I hope that all the talking we do, which is more than usual retreats, doesn't um, distract you from the fact that we're, this is also a retreat. 
or distract you from the possibility of using this time as a way for you to drop in, to touch into that which is most meaningful for you or drop into that place where your heart can blossom and grow. Um, and then my hope is that this topic of emptiness, as you hear these teachings, that you'll be kind of hopefully challenged by them, but challenged in a way that encourages you to come back to yourself, come back to your own direct immediacy of this life here. Um, I, in my Zen training, I've, you know, I love that aspect of various emptiness teachings that pull the rug from underneath the things, places I stood. And, um, and rather than feeling like I was in tumbling or falling and crashing, uh, I felt like I was flying. So I hope that um, if the, some rugs are pulled, you grow wings in the process. So we have a beginning of a retreat. We have this formal way of starting, which is uh, chanting the refuges and precepts. And it's a way of um, collecting ourselves and collecting our intention to be here and kind of all getting on the same page. Uh, we create the retreat together and we're the uh, sacred custodians of each other's um, time here at the retreat. Uh, we support each other. We um, nourish each other. We protect each other. And we offer our, own, our practice as a gift to the people we're with. And so we ask that in that spirit of collectively creating this retreat, that uh, we provide the basic support, the basic foundation that allows the people to open their hearts, to look at themselves deeply, and to discover enough trust in life that at least here they're willing to look and open to some of the deepest places that, uh, that we can access. And so uh, the precept of uh, not intentionally causing harm, not to kill, um, is very meaningful in a world where people often cause harm. The precept of not taking what is not given uh, is very meaningful in a world where your things are usually not safe if you leave them on the street or leave them someplace. Um, uh, the precept of not engaging in sexual misconduct um, is very meaningful in a world where there's a tremendous amount of harm that's caused uh, in the name of sexuality or ideas about sexuality. And in a world where there's a lot of deceit, a lot of lying going on, it's a phenomenal to come to a place where there's a group of people who are committed to being honest. Um, here, um, there's more talking than usual because of the afternoon discussion and the questions and answer sessions. Uh, part of the, our understanding of the fourth precept of, is the idea of noble silence, that there is periods of time here where we're really committed to keeping the container and the stillness and the silence so that uh, to allow something to bubble up and move through us. And then in a world where people... Um, where there's a tremendous amount of suffering because of alcohol and drugs, we, it's a phenomenal gift that we give our world, not just to our retreat, but the world at large, that this is a place that people know is a safe place from drugs and alcohol. It's a refuge and a support. And, um, and we come here and, and try to create that container for all of us and for ourselves to create the conditions of clarity for our mind and hearts so that uh, some of this deep work can happen. And then we call on the Buddha, we evoke the Buddha, we evoke the Dharma, we evoke the, evoke the Sangha. Uh, because we don't just do this alone, we do it with the example of the Buddha, the possibility of awakening. We do it with the uh, potential that we all have 
to have the mind free and awake. We do this together with the support of the practices, the teachings, and the Dharma. Uh, we do, do it with the support of a community of people. And it seems very helpful to kind of evoke and call and remind ourselves that we're doing something that people have been doing for many, many centuries. And we're joining, joining a beautiful uh, current and stream of uh, people who have offered the best of themselves uh, in order to let the best of themselves come forth, the best uh, possibilities of freedom, of compassion, of kindness, um, of goodness in their hearts into this world. Um, retreats sometimes can be difficult, and it's good to remember that we're being held, supported by this wide field of goodness that is represented by the Buddha Dharma Sangha and that is nourished by people living, living an ethical life, living by the precepts. Because uh, the assumption has been that you're all kind of somewhat seasoned practitioners, I would like to invite you that we chant this together rather than being led. And uh, there's the chant sheet so that if you um, don't know it, you can read along. So you can repeat, repeat, you know, I'll start and then just feel, uh, join me. Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Dasa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa Mudam Saranangachami Dhammang Saranangachami Sangam Saranangachami Dutiampi Budam Saranangachami Nutiampi dhammang saranam gachami Dutiampi sangam saranam gachami Tatiampi buddham saranam gachami Tatiampi dhammam saranam gachami Tatiampi gam gachami Panati pata veramani sikapadam samaridami Adinadana Veramani Sikapadam Samariyami Madhyamracharya Veramani 
Sikaparamsamariyami Musavada Veramani Sikaparamsamariyami Surameriyam Majapamadatana Veramani Sikaparam Samariyami So we just oh, that's a, Thanks, Susie. We want to finish the evening with a short sitting just to let the words and the energy uh, settle back into silence. You have been sitting for a, a while already. If you want to just stand in your place and stretch for a few seconds, adjust your posture, please feel free to do so. And we'll just sit for 10 minutes or so, just as I said, to let the energy settle a little. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.